Hi, I'm Willow Belden, and you're listening to Out There, the podcast that explores big questions through intimate stories outdoors. So I have to admit, it feels a little surreal putting out a podcast when the world is being turned upside down. Part of me feels like I'm somehow belittling the pandemic by keeping up with business as usual. But I also realize that as we're forced to be more and more isolated from one another, it becomes increasingly necessary to keep our minds occupied. I hope that by continuing to bring stories to you, we'll be able to offer at least a little comfort during these difficult times. On a lighter note, one very concrete thing I can offer you is a solution to the toilet paper frenzy. So I didn't realize there would be a run on toilet paper, so I didn't stock up, and now all the stores are out of it. So I've started using my Kula cloth at home. For all the ladies out there, and anyone else who, you know, wipes after peeing, the Kula cloth is a great solution to your toilet paper woes. It's a high-tech pee cloth, which was really designed for the outdoors, but I'm finding that it works very nicely indoors, too. Kula Cloth is one of our sponsors, and so they are offering a 10% discount to out there listeners. Just go to kulacloth.com and enter the promo code OUTTHERE at checkout. That's K-U-L-A cloth.com, promo code OUTTHERE. And now, on to our story for today. When we lose a loved one we often experience competing emotions and urges. On the one hand, we're desperate to remember the person who died. We cling to memories, and we try to make sure no one forgets them. But at the same time, we're expected to move on, start a new chapter in our lives. How do you balance those two? On this episode, journalist Matthew Schneeman tells the story of a fatal accident and of one woman's efforts to preserve the memories of her fiancé. It's a story that takes us from the Grand Canyon to the outskirts of Yellowstone and explores how we remember someone while still moving forward. I'll let Matthew take it from here. Here's a song I wrote a long time ago for my friend Murray. It's a sad song, and soon you'll know why. Yes, I know. Yes, I'm no good at swimming. Back in college, Murray and I visited the Grand Canyon when he was studying geology. I made fun of him for being into rocks, but after a while his love for geology rubbed off on me. I thought rocks were just rocks, but he introduced me to geology. Geology is incredible because of geological time. And the Grand Canyon is like a birthday cake of geology. But instead of candles, you have over 40 different layers of rock to count. They go back 2 billion years. No one alive can remember that far back. And yet, there it is. At university, Murray and I lived in the same dorm. It was called Burge. My best buddy stole the B from Burge, so it said Urge. Very funny, I know. We were all kind of immature. Here's how friends remember Murray. I think my second to last time I saw him, or he like called me. We hadn't been seeing each other that much for a while, and he just had built a trebuchet and really wanted to go shoot it. 
So we just went to the park and tried to shoot this trebuchet. <laughs> you guys always had little like man hobbies. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. My favorite was uh, when you got drunk and tried to cook a turkey. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was something else. Murray grew up but stayed silly. His co-worker remembered. He had sawdust all over him and he just be rubbing his chest hair and like writing down stuff. He's just he's just a goofball. He was just he was goofy. Many of my memories of Murray involved the outdoors. Once during a cold snap in Iowa when it was negative 20 degrees, we drove out of town to a cave Murray knew about and spent the night there just to see if we could do it. And it's not just me. When I asked others for memories of Murray, the outdoors kept popping up. I think of him as exploring and hiking when we were kids. The last time I saw Murray was we were camping, you know. We were like swimming in the, in the pond and I got a fungal infection. Murray loved studying geology. And when someone loves something, you tease them about it. I remember really well about Murray and was him always correcting us if we ever got anything kind of factually incorrect about uh, landscapes or rocks. I, I knew just enough about geology that I could really piss him off. He was definitely a good sport about getting a hard time every once in a while. And like, you know, just like joke about different things being like, even funny stuff. Like we would just like walk along and I would joke about something being a sedimentary rock when it obviously wasn't. <laughs> I was like, hey, isn't this can went out of like igneous sedimentary from the Cretaceous or something? <laughs> Murray would be like, guys, stop it. <laughs> After university, Murray got a job with the geological survey company. But he was stuck at a desk. He wanted to be in the field, outdoors. He was unhappy and in response, found a job that was outside. He became an arborist, from rocks to trees. Arborists are the people who manage trees in cities. They're the ones who cut down big old trees before they fall on houses or prune branches that are in the way of power lines. It's a dangerous job. You could be anywhere from a few feet off the ground to 70 feet, 100 feet off the ground. That's Murray's friend Shane. He's an arborist too. They worked together. And you're using a chainsaw, you're cutting limbs. It's, it's difficult enough to cut a tree down from the, from the ground. So taking a tree down from the top down has a whole new, it's a whole new dynamic. Murray loved the job. He wasn't planning on doing it forever, but he had lovely co-workers and was outside. Things were pretty good. Plus, he was in love, engaged to be married to a wonderful girl named Jess. The three of us had been friends in college in Iowa. At first, Jess and Murray seemed pretty different. She was into the Beatles and liked cats while he was into Pearl Jam and grew up with farm dogs. But apples and oranges are both still fruit. They dated, fell for each other, and fast forward to 2011, Jess and Murray were living a nice life in Minneapolis, Minnesota. But then something terrible happened. Let's see. Okay, so going back to, um, we'll just go back to that day. That's Jess, the woman Murray was supposed to marry. He was working um, as an arborist, and this was the Thursday before Labor Day weekend, and it was exceptionally hot. I remember kind of talking to him about it and being like, ah, it's going to be fine. Like, yeah, it's hot. Yeah, it sucks. And, you know, it's a, it's a hot job on a hot day. And then Shane was the foreman, so he was in charge of the crew. 
I was the foreman that day. That's Murray's friend and coworker, Shane. And uh, started getting the, the log trucks ready and the loader and all the chainsaws and chip trucks. And we get down there and we, we all picked our, our task. It was supposed to be an easy, an easy job, an easier job. They all um, kind of divide and conquer. Like, okay, I'm going to take that tree. I'm going to take that tree. It's always a tough task. My understanding, obviously not being there, is that he actually selected the tree that he climbed. Murray was removing a sugar maple storm damage textbook removal on how he did his back cut and his relief cut. So he picked his tree, he climbs the tree, and then this is where I actually don't know a lot of the details because I, I don't want to. It's just there was, there was a fracture in the tree under the bark and everything ultimately uh the tree he was climbing came apart um it was rotted from the inside in a way that was not visible from the outside and so the tree came apart the the limb ripped off and then uh you know he fell and he fell to the ground and he passed away instantly he didn't even know it it happened it was so quick There's a thing called flashbulb memory. In intense situations, you have a clear recollection of what has occurred. It's not always accurate, but it's incredibly clear. For example, you probably remember exactly what you were doing when you heard the news about 9-11. When I got the call telling me Murray had had an accident, I was in northern Minnesota on Bottle Lake. And my uncle asked me what was wrong, and I said a sentence I'd never said before. My friend just died. That memory of getting the news of the accident is clear. Imagine being there. Your senses are amplified. You hear certain things. You hear the, the EMTs coming, the sirens coming. Um, you hear the, the birds chirping. You hear yourself breathing. They actually wanted somebody to greet me in person and notify me that way. And that's what happened for his parents as well. A, I think it was a Pot County, because they live in Pottawatomie County. Um, the Pot County Sheriff went to the house and notified his dad. And then they had somebody set to meet me on my front steps, basically, when I got home. His mom was able to reach me um, before that person did. And so she's actually the one then that told me. And I went, ballistic and it was like nope you're wrong you're totally wrong like you're in Iowa you don't know what you're talking about I will figure this out like I gotta go but I'm gonna figure this out and we're going through our trucks and like putting away gear so I hung up with her and then I was like okay now what like how do I figure this out where did the mistake happen Murray's lunchbox is there and um I remember seeing Jess's name come across come across his phone that was in his lunchbox and I wanted to answer so bad but and in the meantime somebody has shown up on on my front doorstep to notify me I'm sitting there and and he gives me the news and then he hops on his radio and um lets the police know that I have been notified and then that's when like the phone calls start coming in because his coworkers were not allowed to contact me until I had officially been notified. Yeah, later on that day, I was just waiting um, to be able to call her, um, and then uh, I got the okay that I that she was that she was told, and then 
yeah, we got the phone call. And so I remember Shane being the first one to call me and just being, he's, he's kind of speechless and apologizes and yeah, it was, it was a very heavy moment. Once the flashbulb moment is over, the clarity of our memories tends to change. Details get muddy. Memories are lost. You often hear people saying things like, the next few weeks went by in a blur. Jess was shattered, disoriented, and in a lot of pain. After Mary's death, she started having trouble remembering things. It wasn't the first time it had happened. Her brain had done something similar after her mom died, when Jess was just 11. My theory, which is wildly unscientific, and it's purely based on my personal experience, but my theory is that I think our brains protect us a lot. And I found I had such a hard time creating new memories after my mom died um, in the respect of like I was in sixth grade and I all of a sudden my grades, I felt like they started to suffer a bit and taking tests were significantly harder because I couldn't commit like random little school facts in sixth grade to memory. And then after Murray died, I had a similar experience in my professional life of going into meetings and where I never needed to take notes before about what, you know, what I needed to do after I walked out of that room. Now I was like, what did we even talk about? What am I supposed to be doing? Who am I emailing? What was the price? And but when you said you think that your your brain would be trying to protect you, how do you what what do you mean by that? Well, that's like a, it that's was a, trying to like preserve memories of of your loved ones or yeah. by not making new memories. It was sort of that of of my my brain feeling like okay, you need to work through some stuff. You need to work through how you manage like seeing his car every day, but he's not there. And <laughs> here are those emotions. Um, and just like all of that stuff. And, and you know what? Don't focus on, don't, don't make the new memories of the stupid paperwork that you need to do and not waste unnecessary energy when I already had so little to begin with on the things that were not as important. In the weeks and months after Murray's death, Jess went into full memory preservation mode. I had to wrestle with the fact that he wasn't there and he would never be there again, but yet he was everywhere in that apartment. And like, so, so I couldn't do his laundry. So his pile of dirty laundry sat there for like three months. I couldn't get rid of his lunch items because he would make two sandwiches every single day for lunch. And so like this uh, loaf of bread and like a thing of deli meat, but I, I put it all in the freezer. It was like she wasn't ready to let go of him from her everyday life. And what about me? It's embarrassing. I, of course, was saddened by Murray's death, but we weren't close when he died. Jess and Murray's family were crushed. I could move on. Jess, however, couldn't think of anything else. She said she was obsessed. And obsessed with, I really did obsession. feel kind of obsessed with memory alive. I sort of became obsessed become a bit with of an obsession because I, I didn't really have anything else. I just had to feed my cats. 
Jess was on a mission to make sure people remembered Murray. She told me that she was in so much pain, yet other people were able to move on. If she could just make people remember how great Murray was, then maybe they'd understand just how hurt she was. Perhaps it would justify her pain, show her that she wasn't crazy for being so hurt. So she threw a party. Hosted at Murray's family farm in Iowa, where they would have been married, on the day they would have been married, Jess invited everyone to what she called Mertemberfest. And so then we had our Mertemberfest party, which also was outdoors in the theme and style of what we had anticipated the wedding to look like. Uh, you were kind of recreating the, the images and plans that you, you already had for the wedding. Did yeah. I understand that correctly? Yes, exactly. People's recollection of Mertemberfest sounded much more like a fun wedding than a memorial. I remember keg beer and, <laughs> and wine, and they had done pies instead of cake, because that was something they had talked about. You know, I just remember people talking about good memories as we were standing there in the walnut grove. And where everybody camped and we had a bonfire was exactly where everybody was going to camp and have a bonfire. You know, we had that tent city kind of thing that they had been planning for their, their wedding, and feeling that it was just really like perfect and probably what he would have preferred for it to happen. I remember his brother talking about just the shit they got into together. <laughs> he would say, you know, Murray was always next to me. We just got in got trouble together. He was always by my side. He was like my little sidekick and I can't believe that he's gone now. That I'm never gonna have my you know, my buddy anymore. I just, I remember all of the balloons, all of the happy people, the beautiful family, and just that Iowa sunset. And that was, that was who Murray was, what is what I was seeing there. Yeah, no, for me, it was, it was about, again, making sure that not in a selfish way, but kind of in like an obsessive way of like making sure nobody forgot. You know, like making sure pictures were there and like we could talk about him, we could write our thoughts down. We had a photographer documenting the whole event. We had just so many, so many aspects of, of him there that if you showed up, there was no way you were confused about why you were there. <laughs> Mertemberfest accomplished what it was supposed to do. It validated Jess's feelings and gave her a chance to grieve with other people. But afterwards, her grief was still there. Only now she had nowhere to channel it. Up until then, there had been landmarks that Jess had based her life around. The funeral, the first anniversary of Murray's death, Mertemberfest. But now, her life was wide open. She was still hurting, but she could get through the day. So she had to start moving on, or at least trying to move on. After Mertemberfest, I, I do think my, my brain sort of shifted, um, like I was saying, and I started to focus more on how I can be the me that I want to me be instead of the we that I had thought we would be. Then I quit my job, and I slowly packed up our apartment, which is then when I was forced to deal with the deli meat and the bread and the like his closet and uh, his golf clubs and, you know, all of those things that I had really been putting off. 
It wasn't just that she was finally able to get rid of Murray's stuff. She entered a whole new phase of mourning. Instead of clinging to her memories of Murray and trying to get everyone else to remember him too, she started doing the opposite. She left the Midwest and traveled to places where no one had known him. For the next four years, Jess bounced across the globe, periodically returning to Minnesota to make just enough money to fund another trip. She went to New Zealand, got a job at a brewery and a vineyard, traveled across Europe, photographed cows in Portugal, chickens in France, and cats in New Zealand. Her goal was to honor Murray by doing something badass while she mourned. Something he would have thought was cool. I got used to this globe-trotting Jess. I kind of assumed she'd settle down, but settled down on the other side of the world with someone who didn't have anything to do with Iowa or Murray. I figured her way of moving on would be to create a new life to replace the one she had had with Murray. That didn't happen. Hey, it's Willow. We'll hear the rest of the story in a moment. But first... That's the sound of me drinking tea. A special kind of tea that's meant to support my immune system. It combines mint, honeysuckle, and various other herbs that help support your body before, during, and after an illness. The tea is called Immune Boost, and it's made by Kusa. Kusa Tea is one of our sponsors for this episode. They make premium instant tea in lots of flavors. Their Immune Boost Tea is made with herbs that are antibacterial, antiviral, and antifungal. And let's face it, each of us would do well to give our bodies a little extra support right now. As for taste... Oh, that's good. It's minty. If you like mint tea, you'll love the Immune Boost blend. For 30% off your entire Kusa Tea order, go to kusatea.com and enter the promo code OUTTHERE at checkout. That's C-U-S-A-T-E-A dot com, promo code OUTTHERE. And now, back to our story. When Jess would confide with her friends about her loss, they would first say some version of, oh God, I'm sorry. And then they would say, wow, you seem so happy. And she was, but something was missing. Finally, something happened that changed the way Jess thought about rebuilding her life. It started with a trip to Yellowstone. Murray's friend Shane, the coworker who was there when he died, lived in Yellowstone, just went out for a visit. So I came out on this road trip and I was here for, I think I had planned to be here for like five days and it was just so much stinking fun and I had no, I had no real big plans. She comes out and she's hanging out with my son Owen and I and doing things down by the river and going into Yellowstone and seeing wildlife. It was just great. And so we we both kind of say like the door shut. She shut the door to her car and then I was walking back up to the house with, with Owen. I drove away and both of us separately were like. Thinking like, 
wow, what was that? What the fuck was that? <laughs> <laughs> like, that was weird, but like kind of great, but I don't know how they feel, but like, what? That's, I've never had that feeling before. Jess went back to Minneapolis, but she and Shane started FaceTiming a lot. They talked for hours on end, and it wasn't long before they started dating. Like, we we planned the, like, first 10 years of our life in the first, like, day of our relationship. <laughs> Just had dated a few people in her travels, but all those relationships had fizzled. This was different. So, pause for a second. Jess is now dating her dead fiancé's friend. On the face of it, that seems a little weird. But it also felt strangely right. I don't know, we just felt like this is ridiculous in some ways of like neither of us saw this coming, obviously for a variety of reasons, but then that Murray would probably be pretty stoked about it because Murray really liked Shane. He had a little man crush on him. Like I remember him coming home and being like, I met this guy today and he was really awesome and you'll never believe it. He lived in Yellowstone and <laughs> just all stuff like that. And and so, so when we started dating, it was kind of like, oh my gosh, how is everyone going to react? You know, like this is such a crazy thing to be in a relationship with somebody that not only knew him, but then like, I mean, we each have such, such, you know, other personal histories separate from each other and like, oh my goodness. And, um, and I remember being really scared to tell family because not only was it acknowledging that I was starting a new relationship, which felt scary to acknowledge, um, cause it felt like I was letting go, but to also, tell them who it was and be like, so it's Shane. In retrospect, it makes sense. Shane and Jess had always been there for each other, long before any romance. He was a person she could turn to for advice. Advice about how to handle the first anniversary of Murray's death. And he was like, well, how do you plan to spend the first anniversary, you know, of the accident? And I was like, honestly, I, I have this vision of like sitting with a black veil over my face around a table with his family, like <laughs> crying and laughing and then crying and, and just like sitting in silence. And he's like, that sounds not fun. And like, that sounds like something he wouldn't want. And so for the first anniversary, I came back out to Montana. We... I can't remember exactly how many miles we hiked in, but we camped there. And then on the actual anniversary, we went and um, summited a, a peak um, called Inspiration Point um, that's in Yellowstone <laughs> and stood there and had his very favorite beer. And it was like, I feel so good crying on top of a mountain that I should try that again. <laughs> <laughs> Murray was a huge part of Jess's life, and a huge part of Shane's life. His memory was something they shared, something that brought them together. I didn't realize how much I needed somebody who knew him until I had it. A couple months ago, under a giant sequoia, Jess and Shane got engaged. Jess doesn't like the phrase, move on. Her life is great and filled with joy, but she's never stopped grieving. Neither has Shane. What would uh, what would you tell him if, if he were here? I'd tell him that I'm sorry that that day happened. Um, just that I love him and I miss him. 
in that uh, his loss really defined who I am today. Justin and Shane are not healing by forgetting Murray. They're healing by remembering him together. They're engaged to each other, but their relationship includes Murray too. Photos of him aren't tucked away out of sight in a photo album. They're on the wall. I don't know if you'll remember, but there's this picture of him kind of in like the corner off on the left and he's looking up into the sky kind of and there's trees behind him and sunshine and and it's just, it almost looks angelic. And it's one of my absolute hands down favorite images of him because I can remember exactly what was happening and exactly where we were. And it just, it's like, it's like a, a fresh baked cookie kind of, of like, it just makes <laughs> you feel so warm and happy. And if I just close my eyes, I can, I can go back to that space. How do you move on without forgetting someone? Artist Mari Andrew describes grief like a fossil layer on my heart. In time, a new relationship begins to form on top of the previous one. Moving on is not subtractive, but additive. You don't get rid of the old love. You just add a new one. That's cool. That reminds me of the Grand Canyon. Something Murray thought was cool. And because of Murray, I now think that it's cool. Damn it, Murray. You were right all along. Rocks are great. I wrote this song for Murray almost 10 years ago. Since then, a lot has changed. But I still miss him. That hasn't. I think he would have liked this silly melodramatic song, but maybe not. And not knowing kind of makes him feel alive to me. Like he just hasn't made up his mind yet. Here's hoping. All that I do is try But water can't say goodbye All it knows is hello or hi So when I go, don't say goodbye When I go, don't say goodbye Don't say goodbye That was Matthew Schneeman. He's a journalist based in Brooklyn. On April 1st, he launches a podcast series called At Night I Fly, which he made with incarcerated poet and journalist Spoon Jackson. To learn more, go to matthewschneeman.com. Jess, the woman you heard from in today's story, is a photographer. You can see her work at chocolatemooseimages.com. She's also on Instagram, under the handle Chocolate Moose Images. Sound design for this story by Matthew Schneeman. So, I don't know about you, but I find that I'm really craving human contact these days. Which, of course, is something that none of us are supposed to have right now. I'm an introvert, and I've always loved alone time. But even so... I can tell that social distancing is going to be hard. I'm already feeling isolated and a little lonely. And I'm guessing the same is true for many of you. So, 
I'm hoping the out there community can come together and be a source of companionship and comfort. Let's be there for each other in any way we can. One thing I thought we could do to get the ball rolling on that is to share what we're going through. Understanding that we're not alone and seeing how others are coping can help lighten the load a little. So I'd like to invite each of you to take photos or videos of your socially distanced life and share them with the out there community. Show us the little things that have changed for you, the difficult stuff, but maybe also the unexpected bright spots. Post your pictures and videos on Facebook or Instagram and tag us at Out There Podcast. Make sure to follow us too, so we can continue the conversation. Again, we're on Instagram and Facebook at Out There Podcast. Also, speaking of community, I wanted to remind you that we are hosting a live storytelling night on May 7th. It'll be online, so you can watch from the safety of your own home. The theme for the evening is beginners. If you have a story that involves being a beginner in the outdoors in some way, we would love for you to pitch it to us. All the details for how to get involved can be found at our website, outtherepodcast.com. Whether or not you want to tell a story of your own, I hope you'll join us for the event. I think it's going to be a wonderful evening, and in times like this, we all need something to look forward to. Finally, a big thank you to our sponsors, Kusa Tea and Kula Cloth. As I mentioned earlier, you can get 30% off your order at kusatea.com with the promo code OUTTHERE. And that same promo code will get you 10% off your order at kulacloth.com. We have links to both of those on our website as well. That's it for this episode. Our strategic advisor is Alex Eggerking. Our advertising manager is Jessica Taylor. Sheba Joseph is our audience growth director. Ben Montoya is our production intern. And our theme music was written by Jared Arnold. I usually sign off by encouraging you to have a beautiful day, to be bold, to go outside, and to find your dreams. But for now, maybe just stay healthy. I'm wishing you all the best as we navigate these troubled times.